and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. You're listening to the podcast for people who want to learn about the government market from the contracting officer's perspective. If you are a contracting officer, we hope to give you a little more insight into industry's perspective. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. This episode is part two of our conversation about proposals with Vicki Straharsky. Vicki is a senior proposal manager with Skyway Acquisition Solutions, so this is just another little taste of the experience that Skyway Connection members have access to. And just like part one, we really struggled with the audio quality here, but the conversation was so good, we wanted to share it with you. We hope you'll understand. All right, let's pick it up where we left off last time. So we've talked about hard to understand RFPs and how that the question back and forth process, if it gets antagonistic, it makes it even more difficult to end up with, with a successful acquisition outcome. What else did you wish you knew, Vicki? I wish I had known um, how the, the slides in the schedule that we tell the contractors, uh, you know, for when the RFP will be issued and, and when, you know, we hope when we think we're going to make award and, you know, those types of things, how that affects the, the industry side. Uh, I really had no basis for understanding. They don't teach you that in, in, yeah. in contracting officer school, right? Right. And the only way I would have known, in fact, I actually did wish this, that I could step on the other side for six months or a year and go through the process and see it from the other side. I really did want to do that. Uh, but uh, the schedule delays are costly uh, as far as repairing a proposal. And proposals are not cheap. Yeah, so what happens on the contractor side? What happens as, as a proposal management manager when there's a delay, when th- things slip by a month? You start losing your team members. Uh, you've got your team all ready to go. Uh, all of your technical experts are, it's on their calendar and they're assembled and they're kind of leaning forward and then it doesn't happen. And as with government side of it, you know, you start losing the attention of the, the team members because they've got other things to do and they've got to go do them. So once the RFP comes out, you may only have half of your team left. Uh, another thing is that you've got people who are going ahead and trying to move forward on the proposal regardless. And of course, it, it, the more it's dragged out, the more costly it is in terms of time and that translates the dollars. So they keep the writing and writing and writing and rewriting and re-editing and writing and writing. Yeah, because uh, they think it one way, I, I have a, one example. We had a, uh, a draft RFP, and we were told we thought we were going to have a 50-page proposal, double space. When the uh, final RFP came out, they actually changed the requirement to a 10-page technical proposal. From 50 to 10? 50 to 10, and left it double space. Um, and, and we had to relook at how we were going to do the whole thing. I mean, and a lot of the stuff that we had done based on the draft was lost. Uh, Not all of it, 
you know, we had written quite a bit of stuff. It's easier to chop down than it is to, you know, add to. But at the same time, it was such a drastic change. Uh, it's easier to chop down to a certain it, point. It, if you have 50 pages yeah. of content that you need to get to 40 pages of content, that's easy. 50 pages of content to get to 10 pages of content and still be relevant. Ugh. Yeah. That, it was a serious challenge. It was a serious challenge. But we, we had a plan and we did it. And, uh, and it worked out okay. I have another example. I don't know if you want another Let example. Let it rip. The, uh, okay. Um, I w- was working on a proposal where we had a team of 25 people, uh, subject matter experts, uh, writers. That didn't count the graphic artists. Um, we were in a proposal writing center. That's what we did. Uh, we had written a 300-page uh, proposal. And uh, because they'd given us no guidelines and no, no anything. And two weeks, literally two weeks before it was due, they restricted it to 80 pages. So we had this 350-page proposal that we suddenly had to do in 80 pages. And oh, by the way, the proposal team was gone. It was just the proposal lead and myself. And we were the ones left. So we had to relook at the whole thing and say, what are we going to do? We did. We put it all back on the wall. We looked at it, saved all the graphics that we could save and told it in a picture kind of way. (laughs) So So um, I imagine that was two weeks of around the clock working to try to rescue that thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's it was. And that's sometimes I, I mean, as a CEO. You, you can be callous when you don't realize the the impact. I mean, you said you said these schedule delays are painful. It, from a from a CEO's perspective, I've heard CEOs say, and I may have even said it once myself, or more than once. But you, you, oh, they're contractors. That's what they get paid to do. All right, so yeah, they get paid just like everyone else does. But they shouldn't be driven due to changes like this at the last minute to to give up their their lives and their families and and eating and sleeping for a couple of weeks to serve the the needs of the almighty government which is i mean that's how i thought of myself as i was the almighty government so they're going to listen to me <laughs> uh, that is very true and a, a drastic change like that with uh with very limited time left i am quite certain the contracting officer had no idea what it truly did to to, uh, you know, the proposals out there, not just my team, but other proposal competitors as well. By the way, we won that one anyway. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, th- I think you're right, Vicki. We all were COs and we all knew lots of COs that we worked with. And how many really, how many bad apples, how many, how many people do you know that ever purposefully did anything like that? It's just not that kind of situation. And I, th- I feel like contractors sometimes think that it it is that kind of situation that 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 the CEO is trying to punish industry or something like that. It just it wasn't that way, and I don't think it is that way still. But the the training piece of it, the 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 perspective more than uh, training is probably the wrong word. I think it's perspective. So you said it just just having to submit one proposal from the industry side is such an eye opener. And I think we all went through that the first time or first couple times we had to submit proposals from as from the industry side. I want to circle back to one thing you said, which is you wished you could have worked just even for six months on the industry side, right? 
it's a recurring theme that Kevin and I keep stumbling upon here. And we actually talked about it with Mike Fischetti from NCMA, where he, he, he went back and forth between industry and government. And when he returned to government, had much better perspective on how things work. There, there were programs, and there still are, but I don't think they're used as much, education with industry programs for government people to come out and work on the industry side and then go back. I don't know that there are any programs in the government that allow industry people to go in and understand what the government's doing and come back. But that's something that I think if, if, if there was more funding and more focused placed on those programs, you'd get a lot better results in the acquisition community. We just had, my, my company just had a couple interns, uh, one from the Air Force and one from the Army, and they were there for six months. And when they left, they both said, this is the most, this is, this is the most I've learned since I started working for the government. And then they're going back and they're going to be more like the CEO that I wish I would have been when, when they get back, just have from spending six months with us. I agree. I, I'm glad to hear that there are programs out there that allow that happen. And, uh, and having industry come and work in the, in the, uh, in the contracting side be really great um, to allow them to see you know, the other side as well. So I, I think that's an awesome idea. Don't know if it'll ever go anywhere, but I think it's a great idea. <laughs> it needs advocacy and, oh yeah, funding. <laughs> Let's be specific. Why should the government team care about, about proposals? So from the government side, if you want better proposals, I, we, we've covered this in, from a couple of different directions here, but if you want better proposals, you as the government need to help the proposal writers clearly understand what you're asking for, what you want to buy. And uh, not just what they, what uh, the government wants to buy, but, but how they want the information presented. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, detailed instructions nowadays uh, regarding uh, form and format, uh, you know, 10, 12 point font, you know, and, and, you know, one inch margins and things like that, which is, that's fine, and it, and it translates well. But, um, you know, when there are questions regarding content, uh, we need to review the questions, not with the eye that industry is trying to pry additional information out of us uh, so that it makes their lives easier. It is so that they can clearly understand and can present the information that you want to see. So, so, so don't make them guess at what you want. And you will get better proposals or proposals that better reflect the intent of your RFP. Yes, that's it. So the, the idea is it makes the proposals shorter because instead of saying, sell me on why I should buy a car from you, I'll, my answer to that is going to have all kinds of stuff that's probably relevant to you. Whereas if you say, tell me why I should buy a red car from you that, that gets 50 miles to the gallon that is under $20,000 that can go 100 miles an hour downhill with tailwind, you know, whatever. But that specificity, it's going to take me less space to answer that question. Right. So, and this is one of those things I didn't see as a contracting officer. Is I wanted less fluff, right? Well, the reason you get fluff is that people are like, well, I think they want to hear this. Hey, well, let's just put these three things in there and then they'll, you know, they'll like all of it. As opposed to you say, I want you to tell me why this car is the best for this circumstance. Right. I, I always and try. That's easier to do. I, I look at it like the, from the government side. Do you want the guy 
like up at the plate trying to hit a baseball that you're throwing them? Or do you want to write, you know, baseball is nice and small, so you got to follow this analogy. Or do you want them trying to hit a pinata, which is much bigger, but they're blindfolded. So that if you don't write a tight <laughs> RFP, you end up with these blindfolded contractors swinging wildly, trying to hit something that they don't know what it is, right? It, but if, with the baseball, they see it coming and they're swinging at it. That's a, uh, that's a really good analogy. Did you pick that up yourself? <laughs> I may that's have swung at a few pinatas. <laughs> I, I hope I threw a few good pitches. Exactly. So why should industry care so much about this proposal process? There's, the thing that jumps out at me is that the three of us are, I don't want to say we're crazy unique, but we're kind of unusual. Most contracting people don't leave halfway through their, their quote-unquote careers and move over to the industry side. So it, industry should care because they need to un understand that most of the folks who are writing these RFEs, have, like we've been talking about, have never seen the other side, right? So they need to care because you need to understand it from the contracting officer's perspective, which is why we started this podcast in the first place. Don't expect them to understand your point of view. So it's very important for you to understand that they don't get you all the time. In fact, most of the time, they don't, they don't have the same concerns and, and needs and all that kind of stuff. So they're not trying to make it harder. Yeah, most of them have never written a proposal. They've written lots of RFPs, but they've never written a proposal. Exactly. And it is a real different uh, kettle of fish when you move from government side writing the RFP and writing the specs to facing a blank page, writing a proposal in response to somebody else's RFP. Uh, it's, a, it's a serious challenge to do that. And just as it is a challenge to write the RFP, I, I would put it to the proposal industry that uh, if you had to walk over onto the other side and generate an RFP with the rules and the laws that are imposed on government contracting, then you would find out how hard it is to generate that RFP. It's not uh, a, a simple task. And, and my example of that is that as a contracting officer, I wasn't taught how to write proposals. Just like as industry folks, you're not how to write. You're not taught how to write a source selection plan. You're not taught how to check the the, the, the funding line and make sure that you have the right type of money. You don't. It, it's they're they're different skill sets, which they need to be. I get. I'm not suggesting that they're going to mush them together. But the point is to understand that they come to the table from with different perspectives, and that all comes home to roost <laughs> in the proposal. You clearly don't understand. What the contracting officer's perspective, and you, and again, I've had this at the debriefing. I didn't understand how much work it took to respond. I kid you not. I gave them what I think three days to respond to our questions on their proposal. So during the during, this, during the discussion, and it got, and I asked him. I said during the debriefing, he's like, "Dude, that was we had to crank out a lot." And it was just questions. I'm like, why is this so hard? You just, I mean, here's my list of 10 questions. Just answer them. But it's not like, is your car blue? It's not that kind of question. It's, it's things like, we didn't understand how you're going to deliver this particular product within the production line that you have. For them to answer that in some, they could be researched. They got to talk to subcontractors. So I didn't know that, right? So think about that from the contracting officer's perspective. How would they know that? How would they know what the process is for you to answer all of these questions? Or for that matter, to put together a story board or for that matter to put together how do they put the team together like they don't know that stuff and okay going back to my my comment of a lot of people say they don't need to know that and you hear me say there's a lot of stuff you don't need to know but you should at least understand 
And this is one of those. Yeah. So this is a great example. Industry should care because they need to understand the content officer is not trying to make your life harder. They just don't know what you're challenging. So one more thing that the government that I didn't understand that the government should understand about proposals. The contracting officer releases an RFP and whether it's good or bad, they get a whole bunch of proposals and they pick somebody. So they buy something. Most of the time it ends up that they, they get something that, that resembles sort of what they want. I mean, there are, there are acquisitions that have gone badly. The a few big ones, there's a, there's just a few famous examples, but those, those are, those are rare. Most of the time you release an RFP, you get some proposals, you buy something, you move on. If you're on the industry side, if you don't, so this is where the stress comes in. If you don't win that, if your proposal doesn't win, if you don't get the contract, you might lose your job. If if you're the proposal writers, it that might be the last one you get to write for that company. If you're the if you were the the technical team that was supposed to do that work, there might not be any work for you, any other work for you. You might lose your job. And there's depending on how many people propose. If five people propose, there are four teams that are in that very situation. So the stress on these people when things aren't clear and they have to guess what the government wants, how would you like to 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 bet your livelihood on your guess at what the RFP really is asking for? That is a tough situation to be in. And I didn't have that perspective at all when I was a CO. I, uh, I, I don't know exactly what you mean, Max. Actually, uh, uh, two, when I was contract specialist, um, there were two different ones that I know that the proposal manager or the capture manager slash proposal manager uh, lost their job because they lost that particular competition. Uh, you know, I, one guy knew that if he didn't win, if their company didn't win, that he wasn't going to be you know, employed anymore. And, uh, and, and that's how serious this is. That's how very serious it is. Yeah. And it might not have been just him either. And, and this is the risk to reward thing is that there's a, often an argument that, Hey, industry makes more money than me, etc. And I used to, again, I was in that camp, like there, sh- there should be parity. Okay. Think about it. Parity to rel- relative to what? That as a contracting officer, if I got a protest, I never lost one, but let's just say, even if I lost a protest, it isn't like they're going to fire me unless I'm a real moron, but that's a different problem altogether. But the risk factor is not the same. And that was one of the things that, again, I didn't see as clearly. And this, this, is, a, this is a hot button. I can see lots of people jump on this one thinking we're crazy. But it's a, it's a valid point is the, the risk and stress is different. And just understanding that changes the perception of going back to when they ask a question it's not because they think you're an idiot it's because they really want to know how to write this proposal so they know whether or not whether or not they'll be able to feed their kids i mean i'm, I'm connecting dots yeah i mean yeah you, you could really stretch this out but i mean just just that that intensity and this i mean the other part of that is that there's a business decision from a from companies who bid that are in their weight class and they may be going after four or five of them and this isn't always the case but it can be and then for some people, it, it, it feels like, even if it's not the case, it, a lot of times it'll feel like that for the person writing the proposal thinking, wow, we got to, this is the, you know, the whole must win phrase. It, you know, makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you think about that from a, from a risk manager. <laughs> and proposals are so costly uh, when you get into the really large ones. 
they, I know that one of the, the uh, companies had a half million dollar budget for a proposal, $500,000 for doing a proposal. Lose that one. And somebody is not going to be happy about a half million dollars spent and nothing gained. Yeah. And so, a half million dollars yeah. for major acquisitions, major systems is just scratching the surface. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, and even small businesses spend, you know, half a spend, you know, more than just a, you know, a, a few hundred dollars on a proposal. Sometimes, it, as you get bigger and as you go after larger procurements, it takes more effort, and they are expensive. And I don't think I, I know, I did not understand that as a contract. Yeah. So contract think, contract. think from the CEO's side. Think of it this way: it's a poker analogy. The, the complexity and the size of your proposal and what you're asking for, it, we know it needs to be linked to what you're trying to buy, but you, you in the poker analogy, you're setting up the buy-in for the table. That's how much people have to all put up just to play, to take a chance of winning a hand. And it's all relative because a $500,000 proposal budget for a billion-dollar business is the same as a $5,000 proposal budget for a million-dollar business. They still feel it. Anyway, that that's so the the small purchase folks out there, and even you know for the five million item, the smallest one I did was actually eighty hundred and eighty thousand. <laughs> but there are say like a five million dollar one that I did, it was under um far thirteen point five. Same thing, they probably spent I don't know five to ten thousand dollars. And for a small company, it, again, we're not trying to say that just large businesses feel this. A small company, they're going to feel that. I mean, that's somebody's that's somebody's salary for the whole month. That, that they risk. That was their, like, I like your buy-in analogy. They, their buy-in just did was what they are going to spend to pay this employee for the whole month. Yep. Sure hope we don't waste it. It's important because better RPs, better proposals mean what? Faster, cheaper, better results? Better communication. It's, it's just better communication right from the start uh, between the two entities who are going to make the contract happen. Um, it's uh, it's important to the government side to get clear proposals that can be evaluated easily, and it's important to industry because they really need to understand exactly what the government is really looking for, and the ability to articulate it. So uh, it's it's improved communications, and that will even uh, affect after award. You know, we've got mm-hmm. a good proposal and good communications up front then, you know, once the award is made, you've already established good business relationships and, and started forward on the right foot. Well said, well said. Okay, let's wrap this up. Thanks, Vicki. This was great to have you in the room. This is actually the least Kevin has ever talked in any, like, one-hour period in his whole life. <laughs> I, I resemble that comment. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I, uh, I certainly enjoyed uh, talking about this subject. So, Vicki, how do we get in contact? How do, how do the listeners get in contact with you? Uh, through the uh, Skyway uh, website. Uh, there is, uh, in fact, uh, my picture and Kevin's picture. and Contact information is all collected on that website. Uh, so, uh, SkywayAcquisition.com. At, at SkywayAcquisition.com, yes. And actually, she's also one of the contracting officers who's involved in the Ask a Contracting Officer forum that we have in the community, which is skywayacquisition.com slash connect. Nice. Just to, to let you know, that's, that you, you'll recognize her from there. And 
So, so to give you the overall, thank you all for being podcast listeners. Continue to send in the questions. Proposals has been a top one, which is one of the reasons that we had Vicky because she's I mean, she like we said she's a PhD and and I'm I'm just a I'm just a, a, a moving toward master's degree here. So send us any comments you have. Connect with us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and you know also, also we're on Facebook. If you like this topic today, please write us a review on iTunes. It's how people find us on when they're searching for podcast. And we're giving away this information for free, so please help them buy it. And thank you for being a podcast listener. Have a great day. And I just want to say, if the podcast is enough for you, that's awesome. If you want more depth and you want access to professionals like Vicky, you can join the Skyway Connection. Go to skywayacquisition.com slash connect. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, go to contractingofficerpodcast.com, hit the contact button, and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening.